Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey there, Get to Vet, Trevor Maxwell here with you, and uh, I believe this is our first recording with with uh, Command Master Chief Retired Michael uh, Michael Riggs. It is, it is, yep, glad to be here as a dirty civilian. Don't yeah. have my ID card yet, but we'll get into that. Welcome to the club, bro. And then uh, we got another guy uh, here with us today who's about to join our ranks. I'll let him introduce himself. Hey everybody, I'm uh, Jody Fletcher, and I'm 13 days out from being uh, officially retired. I'm, I'm on terminal. I'm on the terminal train right now. All right. Woo woo. It's a good train to be on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so I think we'll call this episode Trouble in Paradise because we were having some discussions there uh, right before this, uh, some of the issues that Mike's having, and I'll uh, I'll let him talk about that. And I think, Jody, you said you were having, having some concerns yourself. Yeah, I think I can provide supporting fires. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, so uh, I think we talk about this uh, often, and a part of it is owning your transition. And, and I'm sure there's going to be some admin departments that are going to pay for about what I'm for what I'm about to say, but uh, that's all right. You know, there's there's trust but verify, and then there's trust, verify, and then don't trust again, and then verify some more. Because here's the thing, and I'm speaking from my own experience here. Uh, I submitted all of my retirement paperwork in July and it was in mid July and my, and I, I had repeated interactions with my admin and back and forth, constant phone calls, emails, stopping by the command, making sure, Hey, everything good to go. All paperwork good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Master chief. Everything's good to go. Yeah. You're tracking. Everything looks good. Okay. All right. Good to go. Uh, and then about a week or so out, I get the, uh, oh, hey, yeah. Hey, man, uh, looks like the D214s are going to be held up for about 20 days. And it kind of made me go, well, wait a second. I didn't hear anything about this. Why is, why is no one else getting the same thing? Now, there had been a kind of a rash of things going on uh not we didn't have, we don't have we have about less than 10 green suitors at my previous command or not not green suitors but enlisted green suitors so about 25 total uh green suitors in, in all so it was a really small command so you didn't see a lot of uh systemic stuff go on but you would see something happen every now and then and you would see somebody separate or somebody retire and they would have some issues and it kind of, you know, kind of gets on your radar and you're like, Hey man, all right, what's up with that? And then you get the, yeah, yeah, I'm taking care of it. He did this and he didn't do that. And he didn't do that. So you put it in your mind. You're like, all right, well, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to stay on top of my shit from A to Z. So I did. Obviously I didn't do it good enough because at the shit's slippery it is very slippery it's a it's a grease pig because at the so i retired on october 1st and it was the monday before october 1st whatever day that was in september 
I called up and I got the, oh yeah, your D214 is going to be laid like 20 days. It's across, it's Navy wide. Well, it doesn't take too long. I don't know if that person didn't think that I had a network of folks that I could talk to you, but I started calling around and, hey, is there a Navy wide thing, 20 days? And I started getting, uh, hey, dumbass, I don't know what you're talking about because I've never heard of this. And I, I called all the way to Millington. I called and talked to folks and they said, you know, things are taking time, but if your stuff is in, in time, which my shit was in, in July, you should be good to go. Okay. Fair enough. So the, that following week I said, Hey man, what's my tops transaction number. And I want everybody to be really clear about this. You get your tops transaction number. When your admin submits your shit, you make sure there is a TOPS transaction number for everything that's submitted with regards to your retirement. My, my case in point is I was over at Damneck for, for an interview. It just so happens one of my old admin senior chiefs, now she's now a mass chief, an awesome person. I called her up and I said, Hey, you know, I, I you know, something's not right with this. I, I just, my, my bullshit meter is kind of pegging a little bit here and, and I don't feel right about this. So can you look into this for me? And she's like, yeah, what's the tops transaction number? And I'm like, I don't know. You can't just look up my name. She's like, no, no, you'd be way better if we had your transaction number. I'm like, okay, cool. So I call this cat up on Tuesday and I said, Hey, what's my tops transaction number for my D214? Oh, Hey, uh, yeah, the system's down. Uh, yeah, I can't get it for you right now. I'll have to get it to you later. I'll call you by the end of the day. I'll get you the number. I didn't get a call back that day. I didn't get a call back until the next day. Well, by the next day, I'd had a, a coffee with one of Trevor's fellows for the Honor Foundation, who just so happens to be an admin guy as well. And he said, you know what? Get that transaction number. I'll look it up for you as well. So I had two folks looking this shit up for me. And they both got back to me saying, hey, man, something looks very funny here. This transaction looks like it was just put in today. So I retired <laughs> on the 1st of October from the Navy after 30 years and 21 days. And my admin department did not submit any of my retirement paperwork, not my D214, not my stuff for pay purposes, the 2656. None of this shit was put in until I forced them to give me a TOPS transaction number. Now, I would really like to say that it is because it was personally aimed at me because I was, you know, the dickhead CMC or whatever, which I don't think is true because there was about four or five other people that were caught up in the same mess that I was at the same period of time. People that were waiting almost two months for a D214. So my caution to everybody is I don't care how much you got to stay up on your admin department, how much a big of a pain in the ass you are. It is your retirement. So fortunately for me, I had just sold a house and, and I had taken our own advice that we've been giving out for years or for at least over this last year. You know, you better be damn well prepared to not get paid. You better be damn well prepared because even if you're super diligent like I was and stay on top of it, maybe the system's jacked up, maybe a person in the system, there's a single point of failure that could fail you. Don't be surprised if Murphy's in there shitting in your garden because it happens. Because it did to me. And fortunately for me, I don't need the money right now. I don't need the money from the VA. I don't need the money from the Navy. And I'll get back paid all that stuff. But, you know, and it's not 
you know, the thing about it, I'm so passionate about it that pisses me off about the whole thing is, is that I fortunately have that. There are other people that don't. There are other people that could potentially get screwed about this. And that's what pisses me off more than anything else is that other folks that may not have the nest egg that I set aside or, you know, the comfortable uh, living that I have, or, you know, I have a spouse that's a very professional spouse that, that works, you know, has their own career path, you know, so I'm afforded this, you know, folks that have two, you know, service members that have two or three kids and a, and a spouse that's been a stay-at-home mom supporting their career for years and years and decades, maybe, they may not have this shit and they may, you know, they may be relying on this they may have a much smaller window than I do. So I'm just telling you right now, learn from my mistakes, stay on top of that shit, because if you don't, it'll bite you in the ass. And just imagine how long, if I didn't go for that job interview over a damn neck, how long, if I, and if I wouldn't have made those phone calls, if I wouldn't have connected with Trevor's fellow, how long was this going to go on for? I mean, and I still, even right now, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have an ID card. I don't have a way to get on base for anything. I mean, we're still trying to sort all this BS out. So th this is all to be continued. And trust me, it will be. Let's Mike, make sure you... somebody make sure that this gets shared with the chief and able personnel. <laughs> Mike, were you staying on top on NSIPs? I found, so I've, I've got an amazing PS. She's a, a senior chief uh, in my last command and she's been staying on top of Millington I found that my issue was back and forth in NSIPs and I lost count, but it's at least seven or eight times that I was back and forth with them, it, you know, whether it was awards or whether it was uh, training or schools or NECs. And then when we finally thought it was good and I was going through it with a fine tooth comb before I hit approve or no discrepancies or whatever, I realized that my civilian email address, somebody didn't hit shift before they hit two for the at. And then they left off one of the words in my, in my address. So we went back again with them for that. And finally last week, it was, the, it was good. So I hit approve and here's a lesson I learned. And this is maybe just me being dumb, but I didn't know this. I thought when you hit whatever it is in NSIPs that it's, no, no discrepancies. I thought when I clicked that, it automatically sent it to them like, hey, you're good. So I was waiting and kept checking back and checking back and it kind of looked the same. And I reached out to, to the senior chief that I've been working with and she reached out to Millington and, and they came back and said, well, it should say these things. Long story short, I realized that on NSIPs, after you click no discrepancies, you have to click route. And then you have to pick somebody to route it to. So then once that got going, now she's been in touch with them and said, as of last week, they told her I should have received an email that said it's ready for me to sign. So I jumped on BOL and I'm at home with a CAC reader, right? Because at least I still have my CAC card. I can get on BOL, I can get on NSIPs, I can get on all this stuff. But then when I go into that section in BOL where I'm supposed to be able to go to sign it, it won't let me in there. So I just got off the phone with her actually before I got on with you guys, maybe an hour ago, and she's calling them again to see, I might have to go to the base. And, you know, unlike you, I still have an ID card so I can get on there. 
but uh, I might Super. have to go on base and use their system. I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but my lesson learned was stay on top on NSIPs. And I had buddies that told me that. So I knew that. And I was constantly checking, especially with the awards and the deployments and all that kind of stuff that really matters. And, and then making sure I clicked, you know, I guess when you get to that point, you've got to click route, which there's no go by. At least I've not seen one where it says, you know, hey, click all this stuff. And it's not, it's not like it's super intuitive. So that was a big lesson I just learned as well. Yeah, that INSIPS program is is not the easiest thing to navigate whatsoever. And I did, I was on top of it. Uh, I I wish I could say I was on top of it with regards to D214, but there was no DD214 submitted. Any of that shit was submitted uh, on October 6th for me. And after I, I retired on the first, my ID card expired on the second. So I was screwed after that. My point, you know, another, it brings up another great point. If there is, if you are transitioning and there is a spot for you to do DS login or do put in your civilian email address for anything, start putting it in now because you take all that military.mil.navy, whatever the hell it is, take it off and put in a email that you intend on using. I have one that I use specifically for all employment, transition, all that stuff. I don't order Amazon shit on it. I don't order anything because I don't want it spammed. So any of the stuff with the VA, any of the stuff with employment, any of that kind of thing, important stuff like that is shielded and it goes to this one email. So make sure that you have the DS login and all that kind of shit set up for, because if you continue to use that Navy.mil or the mil.mil or whatever the hell you have as a transit or as an active duty service member, when you leave, that goes away and you cannot access that shit anymore. You are screwed now. So make sure you have all that stuff set up, the MyPay, all that stuff is set up before you get out. That way you can still continue to access that once your ID card dies. Yeah, DS login is a must. Like you've got to get that knocked out right away because then you can still access the things that you need to without having to have a cat card or, or any of that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been challenging. And, yeah. and so I was, you know, with the Marines my entire career and the thing, we don't have full admin departments. We have a couple of PSs and then they have to liaise with, you know, with Millington. And of course we have, um, I forget what we call them now, the, uh, the folks that are in the units that are, that put all the tops transmissions in. Uh, oh, your uh, CC or what are they called? The main career CPAs. counselors. CPAs, I think. No. CPAs, yeah. 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 So, you know, we have all those people, but it's different because you're you're under the, the Marine chain of command. And and so there's there are some nuances there. And you know, I always I always used to say FMF sailors are like latchkey kids because the Marines love us and the Navy loves us. But you know, it, it's it's we're the parents uh, that are working, and so we have to take care of ourselves and we have to you know, take care of the siblings and make sure the homework is done and all that kind of stuff. And I find that is true, even going into transitioning into retirement, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, we don't have that depth of experience in a Navy admin department that you would find maybe on a ship or, and not that our folks are inexperienced. It's just a matter of trying to access the blue systems from a green side computer. And I mean, it, it, it gets problematic, you know, difficult at times. 
Apparently, there's some Navy commands that don't have that either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. Well, Very true. you know, I, I think Mike was already kind of prepped for this to happen, though, because I, I talk about my story all the time. Like the day that I got my DD-214, PSD was shutting down at Little Creek and moving to Norfolk. And, and you know, after I didn't get my, my pension for my first couple months, I started making phone calls and found out that when they moved all my paperwork for pay. So I got my DD-214, but all my pay stuff was sitting under a box, under another box, under a desk um, over at the new office. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it sucks that it had to happen to you, but it's, you know, hopefully, hopefully my example had already kind of prepped you for that. Um, well, yeah, the shitty thing is too, you know, you got to, you know, you got to have somebody who has like, fortunately I have all these connections and all this, in this network, you know, yeah. and, and I can reach out to them. The vast majority of the people don't have that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the shitty thing is, is that my lesson is not nearly as painful as it's going to be for a lot of other people. When this happens to them, it's not a, it's not a, if it's a, when it's going to happen to you. So, um, Pay attention and, and be on top of it and then some. If you think you're being on top of it, if you think you're being a pain in the ass, dig deeper. Dig deeper yeah. because it's your it's your stuff. It's your it's your pension, you know, because that DD214 plays such a huge role. I mean, it, it's in your you know, your next employment. If you're going for a GS job, you got to upload that shit into USA jobs. Uh, you, you can't get a, I, I got BS from them, you know, my admin department saying, well, just take that statement of work or statement of service, excuse me, that INSEPS gives you take that. And you can take that to pass an ID and they'll give you, uh, they'll let you on. And then you can go to ID card lab and they'll give you an ID. I called every ID card lab in the Hampton roads area and asked them about it. And they told me to pack sand, bring your DD 214 or don't bring anything. And so I'm screwed waiting until I have my DD214. So, you know, it's, it just comes down to, you know, be a pain in the ass. And that's just, a, it is what it is. Because if you, if you don't, you're going to pay for it in more ways than one, you know, without insurance, you know. But, you know, the good thing, you know, another thing with me, I got the contingency of, you know, when my wife took her job that she currently has, even though I have TRICARE, you know, it's an extra, you know, I don't know how much it is, but it's not, it's relatively insignificant, but I'm on her insurance as well. So technically, am I, am I without insurance? No, because I pay for it to be on hers. That's the only, you know, and that's just mitigated because the fact that I have a career professional spouse, if I didn't have that, you'd be shit out of luck. And that's not the way this should be. You know, we got to streamline this. We got to be better than this. We owe it to people to be better than this and it just sucks that i you know and i'm fine being an example for this because trust me it's not going to sting at all you know for me but i guarantee you there are folks out there if this does happen to them they could be in a lot of trouble and i'd hate to see somebody who serves 20 years or more for the you know in the you know to the nation and then come away with you know creditors on their ass because we haven't done our due diligence by doing the processes right by doing what we were supposed to do and that's just not the right way to, to do things. And it, and it really, you know, it's a bad way to exit. It's just a really bad way to exit. Yeah, and I think the, the best advice I could give is 
write out a plan of when things are due. I know I did this. I wrote things out. I wrote when the it was due by and then backdated when I should have it submitted by. And then weekly, I would touch base and check on these things. And again, you know, my admin department itself, amazing people who are always on top of it and getting angry for me, you know, like with, with the folks at, at, uh, at PERS or wherever it goes that it's, it's not being done or that it keeps getting messed up. And I still found myself double checking or just even a quick text, hey, you know, just checking in. And they would reply back and say, this is the latest we've heard. We're waiting to hear back or whatever. But you have to, if you don't have kind of that roadmap, you're going to forget things or you're, you're going to forget to check in or assume that something's being done and then only to find out that it wasn't. Because we actually caught, there was a transition between two people during my transition and we thought one of the things that I had submitted was, was good. And then when we hadn't heard back, the senior chief looked into it and it hadn't been submitted all the way up because it was, a it was like a, a, a younger sailor that had initially submitted it. And they thought we all thought they did it right. And they just didn't know, right. It was a, a first time thing for that sailor to have submitted. And it's one of those rare things that not everybody submits anyway. And so when they, when the senior chief looked into it, she's like, yeah, it didn't reach the final destination. So by us, by me having that written in my book, like, Hey, it's, it's been, you know, four weeks, check on this or whatever it, she was able to catch it and then it did get submitted. So we're still waiting on some of that stuff as well, but you've got to constantly be checking in. Sounds like Trevor's extraordinary heroism. Submission. <laughs> Well, and that's that's exactly what it is, to be honest. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> Sound yeah. like it. Sounds very familiar. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a it's a rare, not rare, but I mean, it's not one of those very common things. And so, you know, our it was the career counselor who had initially submitted it for me, and they had never done it before. And then even the senior chief is calling her, you know, PS friends, saying, "Okay, hey, it's one of those kind of one-off weird things," and and they're, you know. Uh, so we're just waiting to hear back on it. But that was one of the things I was going to mention is if you fall into that category where you've got any awards with V's, and I don't know if you all have talked about this in previous podcasts, yep. but it's one of those very small little paragraphs in the bottom of the milpers. But if you can get it, get it through, then it, you know, it's, it's definitely beneficial. Actually, we had uh, Mark Overberg on who was an awesome guest. Um, he's the head of the army's retirement program. And that was the question that he's like, I always like to play stump the chump. So he's like, see if you can stump me. And that was the one that I got him with. And uh, so, you know, I looked up the beforehand, I looked up the the titles and sections, the U.S. code with, that it fell under. And and he, he, was, he still was a little familiar with it. Yeah, so he, he thought that it was like, uh, you know, Medal of Honor or Distinguished Service slash Navy Cross. And that was it. And he didn't know like i i haven't seen anything that said i it says for valor awards if you look it up it doesn't say i i didn't notice any criteria for uh awarding it whether it's a com with a v or a bronze star with a v or higher but you know i've it, it's just something that a lot of the, a lot of people don't know about because they don't really have to deal with on the whole so but you know for those people that do have those valor awards i always tell them like 
hey man try it even if it's a com with a v send it up and i guess they don't do achievement medals with v's anymore so <laughs> they do well no they don't you're right however if you have a nam with a v it's they're not going to take that away what they've got now are C's for combat. So if you got a NAM mm -hmm. while in combat, you get a, a NAM with the C. And if it's, but it's that's the distinction between you were in combat versus you were it was yeah. a valorous award. I didn't get my first NAM until I retired. So <laughs> that was another. Everybody's like, you know, they're like, hey, we need your retirement award. So I wrote it up as a NAM, and they're like, what the hell is this? I'm like, that's my retirement award. I had to go sit down with the XO and explain to him. I was like, I don't care about a comm versus an AM. I was like, it, it, it does nothing for me on the outside. But he was like, well, why'd you write up as an AM? I was like, because I've been in for 20 years. You know, I've got multiple bronze stars, purple heart, you know, comms up the ass, out the ass rather, not up, up the ass. But uh, <laughs> <clears throat> sorry. Little subconscious but uh i was like i don't have a nam and <laughs> he started laughing he's like you don't have a nam i was like no so <laughs> that was my retirement award nice. but uh yeah so i you know aside from that i i guess lesson learned from this whole thing this whole first half of the podcast if it can happen to a command master chief at a major command that only has 10 enlisted people there uh, it can happen to you. So own your shit, right? And uh, protect your goddamn neck, as uh, Wu, you know Wu Tang. Um, but <laughs> so so we got into that. But Jody, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, like as you're preparing to get out because you're on terminal. I know you're you're involved with THF too, but uh, you know as far as lessons learned from your transition and some of the things that you're doing now, maybe somebody else might be interested in pursuing that. Um, you know, doing kind of the same thing that you're doing. Absolutely. So I I coach for THF as well, and I went through I think one or two cohorts ago. Amazing program. If you have the opportunity to go through THF, make sure you go through. And I also, I started coaching about executive coaching about a year before I retired. And I happened to fall into it when I left MARSOC and, and the, you know, the SARC community to, to go the command route. Of course, I lost a whole bunch of money doing that, uh, you know, because I lost all my special pays and stuff. But what kept me in was the, the mentorship and coaching. I loved it. I've, you know, I love the chief's mess, everything that it stands for. That's what kept me going. And I was up in DC talking to a buddy who's a, like a partner at a way up in some super large accounting firm. And he's a high school buddy. Whenever we get together or whenever I'm up there, we always get together and just go have dinner, whatever, catch up. And we always end up talking about our people. And during that conversation, he mentioned something about hire an executive coach. And I asked him a little about it. He explained it. And then I went and did a whole bunch of research. And right then I knew that's what I want to do when I retire, because it's, that's the thing that kept me in the military. As long as I stayed in was that piece of it. You know, once I couldn't go do the fun stuff anymore and I was just the old guy behind the desk, it was, you know, it was the culture building, it was organizational development and leading the mess and coaching and mentoring. So I did a bunch of research, 
got certified and all that good stuff and, and have been coaching since. Um, coaching is, it's awesome. And I'm fascinated with corporate America. I always have been. So for me, coaching is, it's given me an insight into that because I have all clients from all over the place, you know, different, different types of organizations and, and different industries. So that keeps it fresh every time. People problems are always the same, right? It's, you know, I have a, a fair number of clients that are increasing their self-awareness. Um, the best compliment you can ever be paid is the one you're not there to hear, right? So I like to work with leaders who wonder what their people are saying behind their backs to help create more self-awareness within them so that they can lead their people better. Uh, and then of course I do a bunch of work with you know, organizations as a whole uh, beyond the working with individuals. But that's what I'm doing professionally. If that's what you were asking, Trevor, uh, that's that's what I've been doing. That's what's been keeping me busy. Yeah, that's uh, I know that's a that's a very popular field for for people from the military to kind of get into because you have, uh, you know, like like we always like to talk about, you have those very highly developed uh, high human skills, as one of our previous guests, Harrison Bernstein, calls them. But yeah, what's so? How did like as far as that? that transition over the last year, like what are some of the, the misconceptions that you had kind of getting into this? You know, I don't know that I had any misconceptions. I think for me, it's been a matter of figuring out what type of client I'm best suited to work with or that I enjoy working with. And I'm now getting to the point where I'm starting to, you know, I'm using my air quotes that nobody will be able to see, but like brand myself so I coach for another organization. I'm a, we call them bench coaches. And that's where the majority of my clients come. I'm also at this time trying to build my own brand, my own company so that I can catch clients on my own. And I've caught two or three clients on my own. But when you first, when I first came out of, you know, the coach training, you know, people are like, oh, are you a life coach? Or, you know, and, and you say, well, I'll coach anybody, right? Which I will. Mm -hmm. But really, my focus is on top-level leadership, and again, those leaders that want to be better, and whether they're going from good to great, or they're really rough around the edges and need somebody to sit them down and, and help them identify their areas of growth. So for me, it's not been misconceptions. It's been more figuring out how to best pinpoint what it is that I do or who I want to work with, and that, I think has not been as easy as I thought it would be right out of the gate. And really it just takes a lot of coaching. The more people I coach, the, the more similarities I see between the, the clients that I enjoy the most. And so as I dial that in, that's when I say, okay, this is the thing all of my favorite clients have in common. And this is a thing that, you know, when I, when I jump on a call that I'm excited to talk to them, uh, it's not been boring at all which, you know, has been great. And as far as the transition piece, the advice I would definitely give is don't rush into anything. I was just having this conversation the other day with, with my current fellow in THF. Take time to relax and chill out and figure out what it is that you want to do. Uh, it, especially if you're retiring as opposed to, you know, transitioning someone who's not got the pension, right? But if you're retiring, sit down and look at it objectively and figure out 
what your financial situation looks like so that you don't go jumping into something just because all any of us have ever known for 20 or 30 years is work, work, work. So for me, I call it the four by four. I work Monday through Thursday, or I should say my hours are Monday through Thursday from 12 to four. That's when my clients can book time with me. That's when I try to schedule meetings that I have. Uh, so I'm off on Fridays to do you know, admin stuff or whatever. I surf in the mornings or ride my bike or paddle. So I don't do anything before noon. That way I can sleep in. That way I can you know, just do whatever it is that I wanna do and then work a little and then spend time with uh, my wife and daughter after that. So it's, it's, it's been pretty awesome. And, and I'm probably not the, I don't know, the, the spokesperson the Navy would want because, you know, Mike, I don't know how much you've experienced this or even you, Trevor, I know you've been out for a little bit, but when everybody asks me, so how is it, right? Because that's the question they always ask, how is it? I'm like, man, it's awesome. Like everybody should be doing this, right? That's, that's what I say. Yeah. That's... <laughs> well, you, you bring up a great point. I mean, I I started applying for things, but I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't gone full court press in to get an employment uh, because honestly, I don't have to. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, a 30 year career in the Navy and, you know, a likely robust VA rating, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't have to. So I can kind of pick and choose to do what I want to do next. And I had an interesting phone call with a guy who used to work with me at um, when I worked at EOD school and we were talking about salary and how I kind of, I may have priced myself out of a position uh, with the company. I interviewed with them and everything. It was going great. I may have priced myself out of it, but the, the way I priced myself in the first place was this is how much it's going to take for me to move, you know? So if you want to throw this kind of money at me to do this position, I will seriously consider moving. And that was the, that's what I basically put into that salary range for me, you know, and then in discussion with them as well, I say, you know, if they want me to stay in Hampton roads, I'll absolutely consider doing it for less, you know, cause I don't have to consider, you know, my wife, trying to figure out a new career path or, you know, going to a new area and establishing those, that new network for her, so on and so forth. That's a big Delta, especially in my household, it is. So, you know, those are things you have to consider. You know, the other thing is too, you know, the vast majority, not honestly the vast majority, at least the people that we work with, you know, the high performing enlisted folks that we were fortunate to work around with for years, these people are extremely educated. You know, so we can scale up or scale down what we do next, whatever you want to do. I mean, if you want to be Kevin Spacey and what was it, American Beauty, when you're going through the drive-thru and go, or he's in that job interview and he says, I wanted the job with the least amount of responsibility, you can do that if you want to. But, you know, if you're going to leverage 20, 25, 30 years of experience and leadership and a, and a master's degree and a TSSCI clearance and a program management certificate. And you want, you want me to do all that? Well, you're going to pay for it. You're going to have to, I'm not doing it for free 99 because nobody else is. So price yourself accordingly. You know, th those things, you know, you got to take into consideration for the next step as well, you know? And, and, and I think uh, I've been struggling with this a little bit recently 
haven't had that discussion with them, but then I'm like, you know, I, I don't care if I price myself out. I, you know, if I'm looking for a six figure job, those aren't, they're not on the billboard sign at McDonald's. They're not there. So you're going to have to look for them. And then you're going to have to find the one that fits for you. And fortunately in our shoes and a lot of us, we can do that, you know, but if you're not this, you know, if you're the separating service member, unfortunately you may have to do what feeds the family, you know, and, and, and that's, that is what it is. But, you know, for a lot of us older guys, you know, we got a little bit of a more risk built in risk mitigation built in and we can afford to pick and choose a little bit, but, you know, I've, frankly, I've been now almost three weeks retired and it's good now. <laughs> you know, actually Mike, with this current labor shortage that we're having, you might be able to make six figures at McDonald's. Yeah, uh, so. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Well, that's and, a, I, I've said that before too. Like, look, dude, if like the whole financial services thing doesn't work out, which, you know, it is, you know, I, I weathered the, the three-year desert. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that one, Ted Diggs. Um, but, you know, if somebody was like, well, what would you do? Would you go get a contracting job after that? Like, no, dude, I would probably go work at like Home Depot or Lowe's or something or, you know, do like uh, do like what a buddy of ours, Ross Farrow, is doing. Had a construction company. His partner didn't want his license anymore. So he went and found another opportunity. He's got a business now where he moves and delivers sheds. Yeah, right. He got this little thing that moves sheds. He's like, dude, somebody uh, hired me to to move a shed 50 feet across their yard. It's cost them 500 bucks. I'm like, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it's all about like, what can you, what can you, what do you want to do or what do you not want to do? That's really important too. Cause that was, that's kind of what I knew. I knew I didn't want to do, but Jody, something else you were talking about that I also think helped me become more successful. Cause I talk about this a lot. My first couple of years, working as a financial advisor, you know, I, I really wasn't that successful. Um, and I, I think it was for the same reason that you talked about, right? I was trying to work with everybody instead of figuring out, it took me going to this um, uh, sales training course, Sandler training, which they, they do really good stuff. And the guy in there, hopefully we'll have him on the show one day, was a retired F-18 pilot. He said, you know, a lot of us think about like, who are the, the optimal people for us to sell to? He's like, that's, that's not, that's a really bad way of looking at it. He's like, start thinking of who are you meant to serve, right? What is a problem that you want to solve? And who are the people that have that problem? That's who you're meant to serve, right? And so I started focusing in on, instead of trying to do everything, I was like, I'm going to focus on this one thing right here. Alternatives to survivor benefit plan, Right. And since I've done that, that's what I've started to build my personal brand around. I was like, hey, you know what? This is something that's here, but there's other stuff that's out there that's better if you qualify for it, right? And since I've done that, that's what people have started to kind of associate me with. And I've actually been a lot more successful since then, uh, like solving that problem. And, you know, like, like you were saying, like, hey, what, what I do is not for everybody. And so now I'm to the point where I try to disqualify people before I even get in to start working with them, because it's not fair to them or me to just say, hey, let's go through this, you know, this process and do this. And then at the end, nothing happens. Yeah. And that's the thing I like about coaching is we do fit calls 
when you're looking at a potential client, you get on the phone with them for, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes and have a fit call because in coaching, it's a relationship and you have to be able to, the client has to be able to open up to you and trust you. And, and as the coach, you have to have that same kind of feeling, you know, Trevor, what you're talking about is not necessarily disqualifying them, but just seeing if you're going to be a good match in, in my case. And once you discover that you are or not, then you can move forward and kind of go from there. But the fit calls, I think, are, are amazing, uh, an amazing way to be able to kind of filter who you are and aren't working with. Because sometimes you get on the phone and, you know, you, you discover that I like to work with people that want, they want me to call them out on, on whatever it is, you know, what's, what's the lie you're telling yourself to kind of get through this, or what's the story you're telling yourself to avoid what's actually going on. I like working with people who are falling into that category because, you know, I think is, is uh, old crusty chiefs, right? We're, we're the perfect people to sit down and look at some C-suite executive and say, come on, you know, that's BS, you know it. And I know it, what's really going on here. And because a lot of those people don't have someone like us, that's going to sit down and, and help them look through it and, and really discover, you know, what it is they need to do. And be honest with them. Yeah, that's exactly it. And we have no, no, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Like, there's nothing in it for us, right? We are completely unbiased. And that's what I tell people all the time with the coaching thing is even your loved ones will not listen to you like a coach will because they have a bias. They still have an agenda. A coach has no agenda other than to just listen to the client and give them the most objective point of view that, that you know, they possibly can. Yeah. I mean, you're not doing them any, uh, any service if you're just, you know, telling them everything they want to hear. Right? I, I think you're doing them a disservice, frankly, yeah. if you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that's fun for me is that you never know what a client's coming with. Last, you know, the last session you might've been talking about, I don't know, micromanagement or something. And so you think you're going to continue with that, but then they show up this session and their spouse has got them all in a tizzy. And so that's what you spend the whole session talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. It's uh, so it's always interesting and, and fun. Do you ever uh, have, have you encountered anybody who's just been real confrontational with you? And, and like, when you give them your perspective, they're just like, no, 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 no. The, the style of coaching that, that I practice is the same that I did in the military, but the school that I went to, we don't, we don't give like plans. Mm -hmm. So it's not at the end of a coaching session, Hey, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. We pull it out of the client themselves which is really what allows us to work with anybody in any industry because they have the answers in them. It's just, we're looking for that underlying story. You know, so uh, as an example, if somebody's dealing with something, the underlying story is that they're afraid, right? They're afraid that everybody's gonna see they are not really qualified to be doing what they're doing. Or they're afraid to have that tough conversation with one of their peers or their boss or, whoever's reporting to them. And so we, we get in and tackle that fear and figure out how that person can gain confidence to then go and do what they need to do. I'm not going to tell somebody how to run a, you know, I don't know, like if you name the company, like financial institution, right? I have no business doing that, but I can help them develop better skills for their leadership 
because that is something that we know inside and out. And then, and I think it's just a, a product of me having visited literally thousands of units or organizations when, when we were in the military, right? I can smell bad culture as soon as I walk in somewhere or a good culture. And if I'm working, whether it's the individual or the organization as a whole or a group, maybe the C-suite group or something like that, it's easy to say, you know, to point out the, the gaps they have in their culture or the fact that they have no culture and then help them develop that to build that, that true sense of family or team that they're all shooting for. And yeah. to call them out when they're, a lot of times it's lip service. You know, they'll, they've got their little mantra or, or whatever it is. And then when you ask them to, to define that, they can't. Or the COO describes it completely differently than one of the other C-suite executives. And then you just kind of sit back and they're like, okay, wow, we're not even on the same sheet of music in the C-suite. So there's no way everybody else is. So how do you feel? Because I... I... You know, I, I love watching like the, the Simon Sinek videos and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I know everybody knows all those people because those like you were talking about personal branding, right? Those people have amazing personal brands. So then you have a guy like like Simon Sinek who, who studies and researches all this stuff versus like you have other people out there who um, I'm not going to name specific names. Cause I know Mike's going to start shaking his head. Some of the popular podcasters, like there's, there's the people who actually go out and do it. Right. Um, yeah, who I tend to, to appreciate more because, you know, I know like academics, they can tell you about the theory of everything, but you know, it's like how many of them actually have done that. Right. One of my favorite quotes uh, was a tweet from Elon Musk. He said, what did he say? He's like street drug dealers know more about running a business than 95% of college professors. And <laughs> A, it was funny. And B, like it's it's probably true. Yeah, absolutely. It's I think that the value that that I know I've been told the value that I bring is that I have experience, you know, as as I'm sure you all do, from being a young service member working in very small teams. So there's leadership at that level all the way to the organization I left where we had 45,000 people. I mean, that's a huge organization. So I have no problem sitting in meetings with C-suite people. I'm not intimidated by that. And I also understand a lot of the organizational pieces of it because I lived it for a decade, you know, at that level. And I, there, there are times, and I will tell my clients, okay, now we're getting into the consulting as, as opposed to the coaching, right? So in a session, we will kind of shift gears at times and say, now I'm consulting. And that's when you might share a C story that is going to help them relate to the problem they're having or the issue they're trying to resolve or where they're trying to grow. And to your point, Trevor, I think that's the experience, right? I guess we would be in, in your metaphor, we might be the drug dealers because we've lived all this. We have, we. I mean, how many leadership schools have we all been to in the military? Plus just all the leaders we're exposed to. And that's the thing I think is unique with the military is every two years we get a different leader. And if you're in an organization where you've been for 30 years, you might have had the same leader for 15, 20 years or something. They don't change over like, so we have 
we have, it's like a, a smorgasbord of experience. I've had leaders that were amazing and I learned so much from them, but I've also had leaders that just, you know, I had my, my head in my hands every day going home thinking what in the world is going on. And I probably learned more from those leaders than I did from the amazing leaders. You're learning what not to do. You're learning the impacts that poor leadership has on an organization. You're learning how, you know, every leader, really every person is their own weather system. And if that leader comes in and they're lightning and thunder, it crushes morale, which then kills the culture. And, you know, being able to, to provide people with real world examples of that or to spot it, to sniff it out and say, none of you are communicating. You're all in silos. Every, every one of your functional areas is competing against each other and not helping each other like a team. I told one C-suite client, you, this, this person was a, uh, you know, like a sports fan and I'm not a huge sports guy, but I know enough to, to use them as analogies. And I said, every one of your players is trying to play the, their game individually right now. And you're a coach sitting on the bench with your head in your hands. Like they're not playing together, nor are you giving them any direction and nobody is communicating. They're all trying to be the star player and keep the ball away from each other instead of passing the way they should. And you're just sitting here with your head down and your hands sitting on the bench. And that, that resonated with, with, with that client. I like that. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good analogy. And I know Mike, uh, well, I'll just say this, like I, I've seen that too, like, um, a significant change in, in overall uh, environment, whatever you want to call it. Um, Cause there was a, a period of time when there was a, I worked for a person, you know, that had their command and then they left and the person that came in behind them, uh, it was, it was pretty bad. And the person that left may or may not actually be on this podcast with us, but uh, we, yeah, it was, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It, it was rough for a while. And uh, you know, I've seen that too. And I, I thought about that and it wasn't just, you know, senior leadership that saw like, I guess that's the other thing too, is like all those young people underneath you, they're smart and they can tell when you're not good. <laughs> so, you know, if, if I, I don't know, I guess that's a, a thing that makes me mad is when I see somebody in a leadership position who thinks that they're, they're smarter than everybody else, or they're just completely oblivious to everything. Um, you know, I, I see it. And I'm like, Oh my God, what, how does this person not see this? Right. Everybody here knows that you're not good at what you do. So how do you like, do you come across folks like that? I do. Yes. And I use, I'm certified in a EQI, the emotional intelligence assessment, mm-hmm. And I'm getting certified until we use it all the time with the other organization that I coach for. And I also conduct verbal 360 interviews with clients, uh, people, right? So they give me like 10 people and I will conduct 30 minute interviews with each of them. That helps immensely when I'm sitting down with the client and I provide that feedback to them. Hey, here's what your people are saying. Because again, I specifically like to work with people that are trying to be more self-aware and trying to build better relationships with their people. Because it's not hard if they want to do it. 
The people that are oblivious, those are the ones you sometimes have to shock into it when they see the report because EQI, there's a 360 aspect to that as well. So the client conducts the assessment on themselves and then everyone else around them conducts the exact same test. It's just how they view the, the client. And then it shows the comparison where the gaps are. That's an eye-opening experience for a lot of leaders that I've worked with as well as the, the 360 interview. So those are tools that we use to help kind of bring that all full circle because then it, I call it session fodder, right? That's the kind of stuff that a client can say, wow, I thought I didn't micromanage, but everybody I'm talking or everybody you've conducted 360s on says I'm the, the biggest micromanager they've ever worked for. Okay, well, what do you think is the source of that? Boom, then we're off to the races. I mean, that's a, that's a whole session in and of itself. You know, it comes down to trust, not being able to delegate. Like there's so many different ways that those go down. And how many times have you seen that in the chief's mess? I mean, they're, they're doing season right now. Right. And I always love the, those first years, you know, the, the selects as they're kind of going through the process. And I posed a question one time, I said, what, what would you do if you had something really important that had to be done by, you know, Friday. And one of the, actually it was a, a first year chief at the time said, well, if, if I had time, I'd let them do it. But if not, I'd do it myself. And I said, shouldn't it be the opposite, right? And so it's that, it's, it's helping them make that shift from warming up for the opera, right? Me, 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 to we. And to helping them understand that they've got to trust their people to do the work. And 99% of the time, the people are going to come back with a better product than they could have even imagined. Because we've got so many bright, young, amazing people out there with all these resources and all this different background, why not use that and build teams that way? So I help leaders do that as well, understand the power of delegation, understand the power of trust, and then how that builds their family even stronger. Yeah, it's amazing how the little bit, because I did a little bit of executive coaching through my skill bridge, and it's amazing how corporate America and a lot of the other organizations out there, they really lack a lot of it because we're exposed to it, like you said, daily. And we deal with it daily. And we have brick and mortar schools. Now, I will say the Navy is getting better at it. Of the four services, I think we are the worst at making it institutionalized uh, from a brick and mortar perspective. Uh, and I could probably do a podcast on that alone because uh, I have a master's in this stuff. But, you know, I, I think, and my hat's off to, you know, especially I think the Marine Corps probably does it the best with their brick and mortar institutionalized leadership courses. Um, but you see it, you know, you see it as they as they mature through the ranks. I think, you know, I, I point the finger at the Navy. Sometimes we, we wait until, you know, the selection for chief petty officer that we go, oh, okay, now, now this is important. Now we're going to make leadership is really important. Well, the fact of the matter is these folks have been leading people for sometimes decades or longer, you know, uh, so, but we really needed to give them some of the tool sets to just make them just a little bit better. And if they can, you know, if that makes them 5% better, you know, four years ago, now how much better can they be now? But, you know, back to my point, you know, when you go through, you know, the university system, pick any university system, any MBA program, 
they don't, there's a lot of them that will, well, they don't focus on leadership at all. It's management, you know, and to me, management and leadership are completely different sides of the spectrum. You know, management to me is more of a science on widgets and data and numbers, whereas leadership is how am I getting more juice out of that data than you are? You know, what is, what is, what am I doing differently that is getting me more juice out of the squeeze? It's the exact same size orange. You know, and and that, and I think it's an art, and it needs to be diligently practiced through years and years and years of practice, and you just don't see it out in corporate America like you do. And we're spoiled because we've been a part of it for, you know, some of us two or three decades. And an amazing thing is, is that you're still leading people. You know, and I've seen here recently on like LinkedIn posts. You know, people talking about the difference in military leadership and civilian leadership. I'm like, but it's still people. People still are motivated by the same intrinsic shit. I mean, what? what I don't I, now. I, and I, granted, I'm a rookie at this because the last time I was ever in in this these shoes was in September of 1991. But from what I've seen so far, people are still people, and people are still motivated by the same things that the folks in uniform are motivated by that the folks that are wearing a suit and tie or wearing business casual are motivated by. So, yeah, and I think it's a, it's a huge market for what you're doing and I, and I, uh, hats off to you for doing it. Yeah. And thanks. That's, that's actually a, exactly what got me into it because when I was talking to my buddy up in DC that time, who's talking about a, I don't know, multi gazillion dollar, you know, organization that he's involved in, Every time I would go up there and every time we would have dinner and hang out or have a drink, it was always people. We were always talking about people and the problems were the same, just they were dealing with money and we were dealing with military stuff. And that's when I had that epiphany of, wow, this is, this is what I enjoy. I enjoy dealing with people, you know, and to steal your analogy with the, the juice, you know, getting uh, more juice out of the squeeze, people that are led well are going to squeeze the orange harder than people that are just being managed because they care. Absolutely. Yeah. Get to exercise that muscles. That's so, right. What, uh, as far as if somebody is getting out of the military and they want to get into this kind of field, what are some recommendations that you would have for them? Definitely do your research. There's a governing body called ICF. It's the International Coaching Federation. They're kind of seen as the the accreditation. There are a couple others out there, but if you're ICF, and I'm not ICF certified yet, you don't have to be. I'm working toward mine. Instead of going for the first one, the first level of accreditation, I'm going straight for the second one. So I've got a couple other things that I've got to do, but I'm certified under the school that I was trained through, which is ICF credentialed as well. So I would recommend doing your research and figuring out if your style of coaching is going to benefit from being certified. And I think if you're getting into the executive side of it, most will look at that and want to see some kind of certification. However, I have friends that are extremely successful coaches who have zero certifications. And a lot of it is based on their experience or the type of coaching they're doing. And the clients that I'm working with now that I catch through the organization that I coach for, I catch because of my experience. They look at my bio and they say, okay, here's somebody who can sit with the C-suite folks and, and you know, it's 
I may have only been, you know, when I'm using my air quotes again, trained a year and a half ago, right? Officially certified on the outside, but I've been leading, coaching, and mentoring for decades. And they they look at that and they see the experience that I have. And same with the some of the people that I'm thinking of who have no credentials. They were high power business people at one point in their in their lives. And so then it makes sense for other business people to hire them on as coaches. And my goal is to someday be a referral-based only type coach, where if you've got my, if you're calling me, it's because somebody else who I've coached is giving you my, my name and number and all that stuff. Obviously that takes time to build up to, but I would say, do your research, figure out where you want to land, or at least where you want to step off. Because again, when I came out of training and all that, there's life coaching, there's, you know, I mean, there's so many different types of coaching. It's a matter of narrowing that down, but you still kind of have to get, get those first steps under your belt. Yeah. I think, well, that kind of goes, ties into that statement we said before, right? What's the problem you want to solve and and who are the people that have it, right? They can maybe help you do that. And I, you know, as far as the certifications, you know, my own personal experience with that too, right? I'm, Hopefully on Thursday, I'll test out of my last class and I'll officially be a chartered financial consultant. But, you know, all the stuff that I do now already knew how to do. I didn't need that to do it. I think it just one of the benefits of stuff like that is it gives you a better informed perspective on things. Right. Because as you as you learn more, you force yourself to learn more. Um, you, you shape, you know, when I was a, a dickhead new guy on on Mike's team, his first time as a team chief. Um, you know, I had a, a very narrow aperture of things and I was a cocky young little jerk. And as, as I kind of, my experience grew and grew and grew, I kind of saw, I was like, wow, man, Mike wasn't the dickhead on that team. It was me. Right. And the other new guys, me and, um, Scotty Dayton, rest in, rest in peace. Um, you know, (laughs) but that's, you know, that's kind of life, right? You, you grow out of, of the, the ugly duckling into the glorious swan that I am today. And, uh, but you, you know, it's, it's, it's a process, not an event. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you were able to, to come on here and chat with us today about that. Anything else that you wanted to put out there about, um, as far as military transition goes or getting into the coaching? For military transition, I would just say really give yourself time and space more than anything else. You know, definitely take the time to figure out what you don't want to do and don't sell yourself short. Even if you've got to, you know, if you're not somebody who's retiring, even if you've got to take that job to to pay the bills and feed the family, that's understandable. But keep your eyes on the prize of what it is that you really want to do, because you know, I, I think, again, back to the, we've got so many amazing young people, whether they're getting out after four years or, or, you know, 30 years, they've got so much to offer. And I think the, I was on a podcast a few weeks ago. I think one of the things that we as military people owe the country is that we learn in the military that to get along with everybody and to appreciate everybody for what they bring to the table, regardless of, of where they are from, what they believe and all that. So the more people with that kind of mindset that go out and do good things in the world, it's just going to perpetuate, you know, and that's the thing that we can absolutely offer our country uh, as they transition back out into the real world. 
but give yourself time, you know, enjoy yourself a little bit, spend time with family because, you know, Lord knows we've all spent enough time away from our families. And if you're interested in coaching, uh, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. I'm, people hit me up on LinkedIn all the time. Hey, you know, I'm kind of interested thinking about this, whatever. I'm more than happy to, um, you know, spend time and talk to you about it. Awesome. Yeah, definitely appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And we'll put the word out there, too, if, if anybody does want to connect with you and, and kind of learn a little bit about that. Mike, what you got? That was great, man. It was uh, great having you on today. Um, glad to hear you're doing uh, good stuff with the coaching. I'm envious about that. That's a passion of mine, too. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, like I said, I'm still trying to figure out how to get a DU214. Yeah, you still sure got it. <laughs> pretty sure we beat the shit out of that dead horse. Uh, yeah. right Michelle. Hopefully. But thanks a lot for coming on. It's great talking to you, man. Good luck here in the next, uh, in the next journey. And uh, hope to see you on the uh, civilian side here in a couple of weeks, man. Yeah, same, same. Appreciate it, fellas. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get, the number two, vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.